Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, and welcome to the Journey to Success radio show. My name is Gary Burleson, a fellow Napoleon Hill certified instructor, best-selling author, and speaker, filling in for the world's most famous Napoleon Hill Foundation certified coach, Tom Tutal Cunningham. Well, today our special guest is Steve Copeland. Steve is founder of a 501c3 Right Thinking Foundation, which is dedicated to providing pre-release services to returning citizens in Virginia correctional facilities, helping them to a better chance of success at becoming productive, contributing members of society by providing vocational rehabilitation services in the areas of personal financial management, entrepreneurship skills, and job counseling. Steve's Right Thinking Foundation, Steve is the executive director of the Right Thinking Foundation. He's a lifetime entrepreneur who brings his executive business career behind the walls to share real-life business experiences with returning citizens to teach them skills and provide tools that will help them face real-life situations upon release. Steve is currently the only Virginia Department of Corrections statewide volunteer providing financial education program at multiple Virginia Correctional Institutions. And I must say, Steve, what an honor it is to have you on the show today. Welcome. Oh, Gary, thanks for having me. It's just a real pleasure. I have an expression that I say, when you have a chance to be in the presence of greatness, it lasts a lifetime. And Tom Tutal Cunningham's his worldwide audience and what he's done with his life and now to be on his show that you're hosting today. It's, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing for me. And I'm just thankful to be here. God bless you, Gary. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Steve, this right thinking foundation, that's a very intriguing name. I love the thought of thinking right. And Napoleon Hill, one of his principles is accurate thinking. It's a great name. Tell me, how did you come up with the name? Tell us a little bit about Right Thinking Foundation and how did how did you get started? That's a that's a really interesting question for me. I haven't thought about how right thinking came about. It just happened. Yeah. And I've that's a Napoleon Hill concept is when you Yeah, when you go to that sixth sense, that universal intelligence, that uh, the infinite intelligence that Napoleon Hill speaks about, things come to you. And, and I just want to say that the whole thing with Right Thinking Foundation, the name and everything else, it, it was given to me. It was given to me by God, mm-hmm. by the Lord. And it came through prayer. And it came through a lifetime search to try to find out how to really 
apply what I already knew my purpose was. Now, we're all looking for many of us, we know what our purpose is, but it is so hard to be able to live it, achieve it, fulfill it because of circumstances beyond our control. And so that's a key part of right thinking. And Gary, I've never said that before the way I just did. And as we prepared for the interview, you said, let's just have a good conversation. And, and that's what this really is. Let, let me go back maybe 45 years, give or take, to answer your question. Mm-hmm. I was very, very sure of what I wanted to do in my life. I, at eight years old, I was at a, my first ball game with an uncle of mine that I greatly admired and respected, my uncle Hyde, my mother's brother. And I was eight years old at Frank D. Lawrence Stadium, a, a triple-A game for the, uh, it was the, the, the Tides, the, the Tidewater Tides. And he looked at me and he said, you're going to make a great accountant one day. <laughs> and I'm in the second grade. I'm eight years old. And I said, what's an accountant? He had the largest CPA firm in Norfolk, Virginia. And and I said, what's an accountant? And he said, well, an accountant is a businessman that helps people manage their financial affairs. And I said, well, why do you say I'll be a good accountant? And he says, because you have a gift with numbers. And so from that day forth, because I admired him so much for many, many reasons. When I was asked, what are you going to be when you grow up? I said, I'm going to be an accountant. Picture this, Gary, second day elementary school, second grade, rather, elementary school, career day. They're asking everybody what they want to be when they grow up. I was the only accountant in my class. So that's that's the beginning of part of this here. I'll make it a little quicker, but I'd I'd like to tell the whole story, but I got other things I'd rather get to that I think are more important. The message that I want to get to before we finish the interview today. And I thank you again for this opportunity to, to, to give my message. What, what it is though is, so I was so dedicated on being an accountant and I was, I read all the time when I was seven years old, I would, I would get up in the middle of the night and go down to the bookcase and pull out uh, uh, Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and, you know, how to, and what is it? How to win friends and, and influence people. Yes. Uh, so I read that book when I was seven, eight years old and, you know, started getting my thinking together wow. way back then. I always loved to read, but, but here's the thing. My mother was an 11th grade high school dropout and my father was a mechanical engineer, two very, very different personalities. And mm-hmm. they divorced when I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was raised by my neighbors and everybody else, latchkey kid. I had to have an older sister, four years older. And, and so I, I was out on the streets at a very early age. My mother was a sales girl in a learner's department store. Mm-hmm. So I had all these early life experiences of taking care of myself and uh, relying on being around other people to, to take care of me. And my mother, my mother was the original give you the shirt off her back, love everybody, never met a stranger. Mm-hmm. And uh, she died 19 years ago. When I gave the eulogy at her funeral, I, I expressed that. I really expressed that, that I got that from my mother. Mm-hmm. Gary, I love everybody, mm-hmm. everybody. And uh, when I go into prisons, I'm, go- I'm digressing here, but I promise I'll reel it back in. 
when I go into prisons in Virginia, I don't go in through the chaplain's office because there's a couple year wait list in the beginning getting approved. My, my program is not necessarily faith-based, but my message is straight from the Bible. It's mm -hmm. godly principles. But, you know, you can't smack people across the face with what your belief system is. So for me, though, I love everybody. And, and when I'm speaking to people, I say, I love Martians, Venetians, Plutonians, Saturians, <laughs> so that they know that I really love everybody. I go as far out as I can. And then I bring it back in and I start giving all the colors, white, green, brown, black, purple, yellow. Yeah. And then I name every religion I can think of, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, Muslim, Jew, atheist, Christian. It doesn't matter. Yeah. My point is, is that I don't care about anything other than the people that that I love everybody. OK, with that yeah. said, so I, I wanting to be an accountant. And I did very well in my in my studies. But then I started having very, very serious issues with I didn't feel like I was going to do what I wanted to do. And I changed my major to elementary education. And I have a whole lot of experiences around that time in my life. But the point was finish your degree. Mother made a deal with me. I dropped out of college twice and and my mother begged me to finish college. And so I didn't really care about finishing college. I, I did a lot of things. I, I got deeply into martial arts and karate, and I, and I fought in tournaments all over the country. And I, I, I had this kind of life, and I, I hitchhiked all over the country, and I met lots of people and always felt comfortable with anybody. But my mother begged me to finish my college. And then part of my life pattern started way back then. I, I had to have an emergency surgery that set me down for about three months mm -hmm. while I was out hitchhiking around the country and I came home mm -hmm. and she said, Stevie, listen, you're not going to be doing anything for the next couple months, finish college. And I said, I'm not sure I really want to finish. And she said, I'll tell you what, if you finish college, I'll throw you the biggest party we've ever had. <laughs> And, and so she got my attention. My mother was a phenomenal baker. And so when she said that, I started naming off all of the, all of the things that she bakes. Uh, and she said, yeah, I said, you know, like the yum yums, the seven layers, the whatever I named all of, mm -hmm. all of the pastries and things. And she yeah. said, yeah, I'll make every one of them. So I went back to college to finish my last semester while I was recuperating and got my degree in accounting. And, and then I continued in my quest. But I have a life of wanting to serve, but because of finances and setbacks in my life, never being able to maybe do exactly what it was I wanted to do. And, and so I, I've, I'm at a place now where I'm doing just that. And so when I came back to, to finish, I have a cousin that had a small accounting firm. And I came back and I hung my own shingle up with him. This was even before I graduated college. And, uh, and while I was doing that, I used to eat lunch at this little takeout Chinese restaurant. On the corner, there was an Exxon gas station. And there was this man, and his name is Bill the Plant Man to me. Uh -huh. He had an 18-wheeler, and he would drive up from Florida. And let me just say this as I say the word Florida. 
my heart is out. My prayers are out for everyone in Florida and, and Texas and so forth that have gone through the, the hurricanes. And I think the, the, the biggest thing that I believe comes out of that is that millions of people have a testimony that they have absolutely nothing, but if they have the Lord, they're thankful and offer thanks. And that's, that's my life also. We just have to be thankful and, and we can have nothing but as long as we have Jesus, mm-hmm. everything is going to be just fine for this life that we live. Well, so Bill the Plant Man, he came up from Florida a couple times a year with an 18-wheeler, and he sold plants. And I had just moved into a new apartment, and I wanted to get a couple house plants. And so when I went there to meet with Bill, he was an amazing, a great interest in me. I was 20 years old or so. Uh, actually, I guess I was maybe 21 and, uh, long story short, he said to me, he said, Steve, I want to give you a book because you have a personality that is in this book. And, and he made it very clear and, and please forgive me if, if it sounds like I'm speaking too highly of myself here. I apologize if that's what this sounds like, but he said, Steve, your personality and your perseverance and your attitude toward things. Think and Grow Rich is a book that I want to give you by Napoleon Hill because it will validate everything that you have expressed to me about the way you view life and what you want to do with your life. So he gave me a copy of Think and Grow Rich. I read it in just a couple of days and, and we had dinners together uh, for, the, he was here for three weeks and that was the beginning of my relationship with Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. And to this day, I will I tell everybody, I have my own radio program called Right Thinking with Steve Copeland, and it's for people that are going through hardship and for those that want to help those people that are going through hardship. And to this day, I am proud to say that the, the three most influential books in my life are the Bible, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, and Napoleon Hill's Outwitting the Devil. So that's how I first got started with Napoleon Hill and his philosophy. But here, here's what I wanted to tell you. I have had a life of medical setbacks. And 17 years ago, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, incurable bone cancer. Hmm. And I was very successful. I've had a very good career just to give me my background uh, uh, in what I now do. And uh so I got multiple myeloma, and at the time, they gave me five and a half years life expectancy was the average life expectancy. And uh, I'd like to just take a quick deviation here because I have a point that I want to express to people. And maybe by the end of the interview, if anybody is interested enough to listen to the whole thing, which I hope they are, they'll understand who I am and what it is trying to do because this is what right thinking is. Right thinking thinking right. It's a biblical term, actually, if you want to go that way, but it's, it's, you have to have the right thoughts. It's, it's in your mind. But so here's, here's what I really want to express right now, though. As, as I, as I go through life and, and I'm moving myself forward, I want to be there for other people. And so as I had medical circumstances that were a setback, one after another. Multiple myeloma, they gave me this life expectancy, but here's what I want to tell you. My doctor, Thomas Alberico, is a saint, and 
for the first two years when I got diagnosed with the beginning of it, the doctor that I had who's retired after two years, he gave me some really, really straight conversation that I needed to accept at the time. Hmm. He said that I had a condition called called Mogus monoocular gamacopathy unsignificant, which is the predecessor to the full-blown incurable bone cancer disease, multiple myeloma. Hmm. And he said that there's a 98% likelihood that this condition that you have will become full-blown multiple myeloma, and then you'll have to live with that, and its life expectancy is five and a half years. <laughs> I said, well, are you going to tell me some good news? Well, I have a neighbor that's a doctor. I won't mention the person's name. And so a day or two later, walking the dog on the street, I told the neighbor that I had this diagnosis. I said, can you tell me about it? And she said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. That's a hideous disease, and nobody survives it. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you. Hey, Gary, you, Gary, you are – you are a positive mental attitude person. So so imagine somebody knocking you in the face and saying, oh, I'm sorry for you. Nobody will survive that. And, I, and so I said, hey, thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for cheering me up. Yeah, really. Well, so with the doctor telling me I was going to have this. <laughs> yeah, I want everybody to think about that for a second, because I'm here to tell you that part of my my invitation to everybody is I am here for you. And I I understand what you're going through. My my slogan for Right Thinking Foundation is don't quit, plan ahead, it will get better. I'll, yeah. I'll go more into right That's... thinking in a moment, but to finish this background, which I I, I I actually like the way that it's coming out, to be honest with you, because it, it brings me into a, a lot of really good thoughts because a lot of negative stuff was thrown at me and uh, and I'm still standing, okay? So here here's what it basically is. So I got changed over to Dr. Aberico because the first doctor retired. And in the very first session that I had with him, and I've been carrying this disease for seven years with a five and a half year life expectancy in the beginning, that is what I was told. When I told him my understanding of the disease, he said to me, he said, I am really, really sorry and apologize that that's what he told you. He goes, because that's not true at all. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, it's not like that, Steve. He goes, if you really want to know a percentage, it's not 98% that you're definitely going to evolve into the full-blown cancer. It's 6%. And I said, okay. And he goes, but Steve, let me just say this to you. You do not want to identify with the 67% that it goes full-blown. You want to identify with the 33% that it doesn't evolve into full-blown. Yeah. <laughs> that was right up my alley right there. That was beautiful. So, so I thanked him and he said, what you want to do, Steve, is you want to study those that don't go full blown and see what it is that they do. And I said, okay. So with that said, over the last uh, 15 years with Dr. Alberico, 17 years total on the illness, I, uh, I'm a, I have two acronyms for this. One of them is if it wasn't for this terminal illness, I'm the healthiest person you know. Oh, wow. That catches people's attention sometimes. And the other one is they say, well, what's your secret, Steve? And, and I just tell them very simply, well, as long as I stay healthy, I'm healthy. 
And so I spent a year in the early days of the diet wake up nightmares. They, I mean, they were telling me that I wasn't going to live to see, you know, grandkids. I didn't have any grandkids at the time. I've got six grandkids right now. And, and so, you know, I had all this gloom and doom that was in front of me and it took me one year, one year to finally have a nightmare type in the middle of the night, wake up in a cold sweat and just finally just give it completely up to the Lord and say, Jesus, this is just something that I can't, it's bigger than me, Lord. Would you just take it from me? And from that day forth, my life has changed. And I already knew Jesus gave him this. I gave up my, my illness to him. But just to kind of make you feel more wonderful about me, uh, May the 20th a year ago, I had uh, prostate removal. And then in December, I finished 37 days of radiation. And uh, the good news with the uh, prostate cancer was, was that they thought they got it all. (laughs) The good news, I'm joking. But two months later, they realized they didn't, and I had to go in through radiation. But right now, today, I I play racquetball about four days a week. I teach karate classes on Saturdays. I swim in the ocean as much as possible. And uh, and almost everybody that knows me, you know, uh, a, a thing about people like myself and like Too Tall and anybody else that's going through these kind of illnesses, Jim Stovall, I want to talk about him a little bit today. We don't talk about and dwell on our, our illnesses or our setbacks, but I use them to be transparent, to inspire and motivate other people because I come across a population in prison of people that, you know, they, they have a hard time. Yeah. Uh, and the biggest, the biggest thing about people that are in prisons, they, they tend to not trust anybody. No. And that's a whole, we can discuss that, but, but my message is critical that they can relate to me and, and understand me so that I can be someone they trust. So let me stop for a minute, sum up everything that this part of the show that we, we talked about. You asked me, how did I get into right think, where the name from, and, and a little bit about what right thinking is about. So to summarize all that is thinking is the fulfillment of, of trying to find my purpose. And there's one last quick part that I need to, to give you in that detail. I had some severe financial difficulties and uh, I'm an entrepreneur, a a self-employed person. I got into a tremendously difficult real estate deal. A lot of things happened. Cancer's not cheap, et cetera. And I was given a testimony at church and uh, asking for prayer at the church. And two guys came up to me right after church, Steve Forbes and, and, uh, and Fred Cameron. And they said, Hey man, we didn't know, that you were uh, a business guy, would you help us? And I said, what can I do? And they said, well, we have a barber shop and we just got our license to have a barber school. And the name of their shop in uh, Chesapeake, Virginia, Master's Touch Barber School of Excellency. And it's masters with an apostrophe because they glorify the Lord. And they said, but we need help in in turning our shop into a school. So I went out to their shop. And the first thing they said to me was, can you get us into prisons and rehab centers? <laughs> and I did one of those Willis's. What do you mean, Willis? I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, see, that's where we started. 25 years ago, we were both incarcerated for five and six years. And uh, we want to be there for people when they get out because they're going to have a hard time when they get out uh, starting their lives over again. And we want to be there for them. And also, 
Oh, that's where we learn to cut. And a whole lot of people that are in prisons, they, they, Barbarin's a really good thing. So I got involved with them and I started helping them. And next thing I know, I'm in a St. Bride representing them with uh, the inmates uh, going through the reentry program when they get out, what's available when they get out. And we were passing out brochures for the barber school. And in between sets of men, they would bring them in 60 at a time for 50 minutes, give you a 10 minute break and bring in another 60, give you a 10 minute break. In between, I had this experience and I looked up at the ceiling and I can tell you that the, the ceiling opened up and I'm looking up into the heavens and the Lord told me, Steve, this is what you're supposed to do. And I went, it makes perfect sense. Everything about my life, this makes perfect sense. I love people. I love helping people that are going through hardships and difficulty. I've got something to, that I can teach people with my financial background, and I feel very comfortable with all people. So I thank the Lord then and there, and that, that was six years ago, give or take, and I've been in Virginia prisons now 400 times given my message, but it's so hard to get support because, look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good Samaritan kind of person. I like to give of myself, but you can't make a living off of it, but I worked through the Virginia Department of Corrections all the way at the director's uh, level, and they gave me mentors, and they told me early out that no one has ever come into the department with my background, my skills, and we developed a curriculum. And the, the curriculum that, that I come in to do, it's a financial education program, but it's not really about money. It's really about, it's like maybe 25% about money, 75% about persevering, not quitting, not giving up, surrounding yourself with the right people making the right decisions. And so that's the basic program. And the whole idea is, is that I teach an overall awareness about how money really works in a person's life so that they can learn, think, and, and so that they can get on control, something that they can control so that when the unexpected things of life come their way, they will be better prepared to deal with that could have only been a minor setback doesn't turn into a, a full blown failure. My program that I've been developing is based on a, a, a seminar that I did 30 some years ago, and it was called Managing to Your Gross Profit, and I changed the name of it. But basically, I really do teach people in order to live the life that you want to live, you've got to understand your money inside and out. And then don't let your money pressure you. And this is an interesting thing. It's the positive thinking that, that you do, that I do. And, and I do not disagree, I'm going to tell you, but I take it a different direction. Everybody knows that when you're handling your money properly, you've got to live within your means. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is, is that so many people, they accept that their means are going to be this, and they never go beyond expanding their potential and fulfilling a, a higher potential so that their means becomes much higher. You know, Napoleon Hill said just the other day uh, in an interview that I listened to of his that was uh, going the extra mile. You know, God wants us to to have as much abundance as, as we want, 
And, and it, it doesn't mean that you have to have less to be closer to God. I mean, you can just as easily have a lot as little. But so to go back to the real message here is that my little part to the world, and, and I'd like to preface this with the following. Everybody that Tom Tutal has is on, on his show that you have on, on it also, these are very, very successful, wonderful people that have gone through more than I've gone through probably, and they've come out of it and they face their hardships, their adversities, as, as we both know. Napoleon Hill says that in every adversity, hardship, failure, there is the seed of an equivalent or equal, an equal uh, benefit. Mm-hmm. And, and I've got a quote that I, that, I, that I put out in my perseverance quotes by Maya Angelou. And I like to, I, I teach this sometimes for 30 to 40 minutes, just this one, three sentences as I engage the students in my class. You may encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter the defeats so you can know who you are, what you can rise from, how you can still come out of it. Wow, I like that Gary, quote. You know, what I'm trying to say is, oh, it's a beautiful quote. Hey, I followed up on my perseverance quotes with Mahatma Gandhi. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in service to others. Yeah. Yeah. And then. The last quote on the page is by a guy named Steve Copeland. I, I, when I started passing these sheets out to all my students and they go, hey, that's you. And I say, thank you. My potential is higher than my needs. We, we don't live up to our potential. We don't go further. We don't take the time to believe that, that we can really have those dreams come true. It takes hard work. It takes a lot of homework. It takes perseverance. But I, I want to stop just for a second. I left off the very first quote of the four quotes on my perseverance quotes. It's Winston Churchill. If you are going through hell, keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's pretty sure. strong. But Gary, know this, do you know the second half of that quote? I don't. Well, I want to tell you that it was taught to me by an inmate in prison. And uh, here's the second half. And you'll get through hell so fast, the devil won't even know you've been there. <laughs> I like that. Good. Hey, Gary, uh, I think I've gone far into trying to answer your first question or your first two questions. But here's what I'm trying to say. A lot of people, they're very famous, like they've written their books. I was going to say like you, you Gary. Gary, you're, you're a best-selling author. And when I say in the presence of greatness... I have always, always wanted to communicate to people and give people good positive thoughts and help them, you know, find their purpose and, and go into the direction. And and whenever I have an opportunity to meet people that are that are published authors and particularly best selling authors, it's, it's it's a real honor for me. And and so uh, I, I like being on the phone with you. And it, since you're interviewing me, I, I I'm not getting to know more about about you so maybe someday uh, you'll be a guest on my show and I can pull out your background and, and let people know exactly what you do I would appreciate that one day I would love to do that well Gary here's what I'm saying I'll, I'll we'll do that as soon as possible but Gary here's what I really want to say everybody in the eyes of the Lord is a unique 
individual child of God, and no single person is more important than another Genesis. And and as I go into prisons and I connect with people, I've met some of the most wonderful people that I've ever met in my life. It's just that they made some pretty bad mistakes. They violated the law for some for some reason. And um, and so I try to connect with them and I try to get them to to change their behavior, to to live in the right direction. But when it comes right down to it, all I have to really offer is I'm not a professional psychologist, behavior psychologist, counselor in that respect. I do have a 45 year in, as a business counselor and as an entrepreneur. But here's here's my theory again, is that financial trouble for you, me, anybody, it causes stress in life. And we need to reduce that stress. And that's one thing that I know how to do. And so you ask me, you ask me, how do I reach kids? Well, the only answer I believe to really reduce recidivism is to kids before they go too far out in the world and screw up. And, and I've, I've had phenomenal experiences in Virginia prisons where I know so many people I've been in so many times and I'm so comfortable because I love all, all the friends that I've made. Mm-hmm. When I thank them for embracing in prisons, Christmas two years ago at Deerfield Correctional, I was in a job fair and we had 24 groups of 10 people for 10 minutes each. And, and I, you could talk to 10 people for 10 minutes. And I did it 24 times all day that we had 12 different stations and they would just go from one station to another. And as I would do that, I thanked them because I had just been awarded a, uh, an opportunity to go to a, a, a charter school in Newport News, Virginia, that's an at-risk school. It's, it's for at-risk kids. Mm-hmm. And it's been around for about 20-some years. And 70% of these kids' parents are either currently or have been incarcerated. And so they have this. It's part of the Newport News Public School System, and it's called an Achievable Dream Academy. And financial literacy is a requirement. A couple of years ago, it was 18 states required financial literacy, a core school. So they do have financial literacy uh, going on in school. And so I went to the administration there and I told them that I want to come in and uh, literacy. And, uh, and they said, wow, that'd be great because you could bring some real life uh, 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 lessons to the students. They drafted the teacher that teaches financial literacy because she was like a government teacher, but had no background in finances or whatever. And and so it was just kind of a, a collateral duty. So I've got two years teaching there and, and we're making some dramatic results. One of my best stories is a is a young man named Jalen. And uh, I gave him a copy of Outwitting the Devil that, by the way, was turned on to me five years ago in a prison by an inmate that uh, when I was talking about Napoleon Hill, teaching Napoleon Hill, he says, if you read outwitting the devil and i didn't know about it and i read that book and it became one of the most meaningful books in my life but uh it, and it was it was turned on to me by an inmate mm-hmm. well so i gave, gave a copy of a chibble dream academy and it changed his life uh he was ready to quit in a uh in a, in a science fair that he was at that his partner didn't show up that day and he was angry and everything else and then he remembered outwitting the devil how you can turn adversities into opportunities and he went to the teacher and said can I borrow a battery from someone? And, and he continued. He pulled himself together, and 
he ended up winning the competition and going into the national championships. And that's an amazing story, but he thanked me for giving him the book, of course. So, you know, I'm, I'm meandering all over the place, but here's what I'm trying to tell you. My financial education course kind of works. The first day of class, I, I give them a sheet called a topic paper about budget, cash flow, loans, and credit cards. And it has eight questions. Uh, what does the term reconcile mean in regard to a checking account with the bank? Two, when borrowing money, what three variables determine how much the monthly payment will be for a loan? Three, what is an amortization table? Four, when borrowing money, what is an APR? Five, what is a consolidation loan? Six, how will credit card finance charges be calculated? Seven, what is a budget? Eight, what is cash flow? Now, Gary, I could give this, this, this quiz to 98% and they can't answer two questions. And my point is this. I introduced some concepts there that they just don't know. They're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. But the first one, for example, what does the term reconcile mean in regard to a checking account? I teach them that reconcile isn't really about money. It's about it's a word, and I give them the de- uh, derivation of the word. It means to make accurate, to check, to balance, to see if it's correct, mm-hmm. to get things in order. And so I start giving them this overview that nobody understands anything about those money concepts, but then I immediately go into the next phase for the next couple months. My my dear lesson two is the topic is let me get lesson two here success and goals. What is your definition of success? What are three of your goals in life? Then I go into a good and a better life. E. What can you do to have a better life? Then the next lessons on financial stability and savings. So you can see that I'm starting to try to focus them on who they are and what they want. And and then I start slowly getting them into understanding some things about money and how money can be used to help you achieve goals. What is financial stability? What is savings? Why is it good to have savings? And then I get them into the next concept. And this one was the first assignment. I made them go back for 30 days and write down every penny that they spent, try to recall every penny that they spent. And, you know, they couldn't do that very well. And then I asked them questions. Uh, I, I instructed them, the, what, what are the categories that you spent your money on? What was the total that you spent on everything? What was the category that you spent the most in and how much did you spend? Are you comfortable that your list is complete? What are you having difficulty in remembering? Did you learn anything from looking at your spending habits? And then, then I get into the next one is on budgets. Why is it important to write down your budget? How can budgeting meet your goals? Explain how the substitution principle and money handling and priorities work together. And what is the difference in doing a monthly budget using totals or doing a weekly cash flow budget? Now, Gary, I have taken this curriculum and I have a workbook that uh, it's, it's way bigger. This is just a small part. But I lead people into understanding that if you can learn your own behavior about how you spend your money and how you just waste your money, and I have a thousand examples of how you can change one small thing, and then once you start doing that, success breeds success, and then you'll start start making other changes that are more, more meaningful to achieve goals. But I give you this one example. If I work with somebody and mentor them, and they're a really, really good person that's ready to live right and get focused and move forward, but they don't know their goals. 
and I teach them when you get a job, save $50 a week out of your paycheck or whatever. And they, they want to do it right. I teach them discipline. I teach them how to do these things. And they save $50 a week for a year. They got $2,500, $600. At the end of the year, if they still don't know what their purpose is or what they really want to do with themselves, they're apt to make a bad decision and, and spend it on the wrong thing. For example, they might have somebody else tell them to go to ECBI computer school. And, and so they figure, okay, I got to do something. So they in the computer school, they realize that's not for me at all. So, so they, they end up quitting. Well, Gary, what I'm here to tell you is if a person doesn't know their purpose and know what their goals in life need to be, even if they're disciplined, they're going to make the wrong choices. They're going to spend the money. And, yeah. and I'm not, this is kind of like, they should have not even bothered to save the $50. They should have just had entertainment and gone to more movies and bought some clothes and eaten better for the year because they end up in the same place. They're no better off after they made that wrong decision because the money's gone and they got to start all over again. So, Gary, what, what I'm trying to say is my small contribution to the, the world is I'm just a regular guy, street kind of guy that's gone through my share of hardships, but I won't quit. And, and I give it up to the Lord. And, and no matter what happens, I'm going to still thank the Lord for another day. One of my little theme songs in my life is the song Annie from, uh, you know, the sun will come up tomorrow, mm-hmm. tomorrow. My point is this. I thank, I thank God. I thank Napoleon Hill. And, and I've met Don Green, the executive director of Napoleon Hill. And he's, he's mentoring me for three and a half years now. And he gives books to the Achievable Dream Academy. Two years ago, I presented a copy of uh, Napoleon Hill's uh, uh, Positive Action Plan to all the students. And that was wonderful. And this, this year, he gave me copies of Jim Stovall's book, uh, One Season of Hope. And when I read that book, I cried like a baby. Jim Stovall has his phone number uh, on the back page saying, you know, call me if you want to. I cried him. I, I called him while I'm crying. Last 30 pages, I, I couldn't see the words on the page. I called. He called me right back. I drove 7,518 miles to go to Oregon to Powder River Correctional Facility uh, a, a month ago. But I stopped in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and had 15 minutes with Jim Stovall. And Ball tried to talk me out of coming down there out of my way before I went to, to Oregon. I went to Oregon, by the way, to announce my program, Right Thinking Foundation, is now going national. I'm looking for cool. national corporate sponsors, philanthropists. I have some wonderful sponsors already. But we're trying to do something here that connects to the needs of these inmates when they get out of prison, that we have to receive them better. Jim Stovall gave me a message and gave me permission to wherever I go to introduce him to everywhere I go. So did Don Green, Robin Kassarjan of the Lionheart Foundation and, and others. And here's the message that Jim Stovall gave me when I up for 15 to thank him for the wisdom that he puts out there. His book series, Wisdom for Winners, is absolutely changed my I like understanding. Uh, I'm, I'm just moving forward so beautifully. I, I, I've just really got focused through some of that. Don Green, has been my, he's been on my show a couple of times. The Ultimate Productivity is one of the best books by Jim Stovall. But here's the message that Jim Stovall gave me when I was on my way to do a seminar in Powder River Correctional Facility in Oregon. 
I said, could I have your permission to ask you? I read before I came that I could only come just to shake his hand because he, he just didn't want to, he didn't feel. So this is what I'm up against, Gary. Jim Stovall is phenomenal. And we talked several times after that first phone call, but he felt like I was trying to get him to give me financial support. And he said, Steve, everybody needs to know who Jim Stovall is. Just, just find out about Jim Stovall. He's one of the greatest human beings walking this earth right now. He's amazing. He got a, an award, same as mother Teresa for international humanitarian of the year award. This man gives. And in November, his movie, he's written 30 books and, and, uh, and five, six of them are movies, the ultimate gifts movies, but he's coming out with top of the Hill, the Napoleon Hill story. And, uh, it's amazing. So, but he felt that I was looking for some support and he said, Steve, I, I don't want you to come because I think you're looking for something that I, that I might not be able to give you. Why do you want to come? And I said, cause I just want to shake your hand because you inspire me. So he agreed. But when I got there, he, I softened him up a little bit because I, I gave him a, of, uh, this incredible dark chocolate, sea salt, caramel, ice cream sauce. And, uh, that's, that's, a, a that'll set you up for a good deal anytime. Yeah. But, but I said, permission to ask you to do for something. He said, yes. And I said, I'm getting ready to go to powder river correctional in Oregon. Would you give me a message that I can give to the men from you? He said, Steve, you tell those men that if you were the only person alive, each one of you, if you were the only person alive living right now, that God would have done it for you because he loves you that much. He says, and then tell them that the rest of the Bible is no more than God's love letter to you. Well, I thanked him for that. Then he also told me to tell him about Napoleon Hill and, and every adversity and hardship and failure. There's a, there's a, a seat of benefit. So when I got there, I am going into prisons. I have a goal right now and I need funding to do this. Uh, right now and I'm self-funding. I sold a life insurance policy to invest in what I do. I don't get much compensation. Uh, I have some donors out there and some partners, but I'm looking for partners. But I now want to go to every state in the country. I've been to 49 of the 50 states in my life, all but North Dakota. And right now, my express goal is I just want to go out there and go to at least one prison in every state and invite people to give my message of love, encouragement, and hope and provide these tools so that they can at least get on top of their finances. Hey, let me give you you a quick little exercise. I know we're going to going to be short on time soon, so let me do this. One of the things that I like to teach people is to just have them do this. You know, a lot of motivational speakers, they always get everybody to get up and stretch for a minute so you can get mm -hmm. your blood flowing. Here's what I do. I'd like you to look over your left shoulder as far as you can, and I caution you, if you're driving in a car, not do this exercise. I want you to look over your left shoulder all the way as far as you can, and just spot something that I want you to remember, just anything. Okay, mm -hmm. good. Now look over your right shoulder. Okay, good. Do your left one more time. Okay, good. I don't really want to know what you looked over. I just want to say, what do you call it when you live life and you're constantly looking over your shoulder to see what's behind you? People say it's, it's, it's being paranoid, waiting for something to catch up with you that maybe you, you know. It's a split consciousness. You're not focused. You're not looking forward. You're still looking back. I try to get people to accept that whatever you did, you did. It's over. You've been forgiven. Let's move forward and let me help you move forward. So that's that's part of that. So, Gary, 
I, uh, I've just recently started my radio program. I've got 30 some shows out there in an archive, right thinking with Steve Copeland, uh, rightthink.org is the website. And I have guests on just to encourage and motivate people. But here's the whole point. I've got a partner, uh, Concursive Corporation. Dave Richards was my, my right thinking. And it's got all the social media capabilities and other things. Many companies use this platform to manage all their businesses, use it. It's universities use it. It's worldwide. And Dave Richards adopted me. And I love being adopted and letting other people be involved in what I do and just trying to carry it forth. But we have a platform that has, has you know, chat rooms, all those kind of things, but support group capability that are confidential where you have to invite somebody in. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm just going out, spreading the message, letting people know about the radio program that's there to, uh, to, to be there for you. Lead people to my website, again, rightthink.org. And that point, they can get involved with Right Thinking, which is there to help provide a resource to move them forward, to mentor them, to help them find resources, to connect them with others, just to get them started. Uh, kind of in, in closing, if we're running out of time, because I, I knew our time frame is yeah, this. We're getting close. The Americans with recidivism is not getting any better. And the government's doing whatever they do. I don't want to criticize our government. There's lots and lots of programs out there, but I just want to be a member of a team, a team like uh, like you. I, I want to come to come with you and the focus prison ministry that that you're a volunteer for in East Tennessee. Yeah, I want to come through you and go to prison there and give my message and just represent all the other people that, that have the same message. Victor Frankel, Man Search for Meaning. It's having your purpose and never looking back. Uh, Napoleon Hill, Don Green, Jim Stovall, Robin Kasarjan. And, and so I want to give the message and be part of the team. And I came up with this analogy just the other day. I want to be like a camp counselor that's part of this wonderful camp that people put their kids to so they'll get some enrichment out of it. And I just want to be one of those counselors that's there with all the other counselors that give them something that I am qualified to give. So with that said, I, I'm national now, and what we want to do is we want to have, have people join Right Thinking. And I've already had one mother when I went to Powder River. She sent me an email because her son told, told her all about my seminar, and she said she really wants to learn more about it because her son's getting out of prison in three months, and uh, she wants to make sure he gets all the support that he can. So I want to have people come to right thinking to when they get out of prison to have further support and encouragement. One or two last points that I'd like to share. Brunswick Women's Work Center in Lawrenceville, Virginia. I've been going there for five and a half years, probably been there a hundred and some times. And I just love the women there. Uh, don't take that wrong, anybody. I love everybody. But here's the thing. Cassandra Taylor that retired a couple months ago was one of my closest contacts and in the prison system and she told me she said steve the way you teach what you teach at their level is it's just it you're connected fantastic but i want to tell you the number one thing that you give them that if you didn't do anything else is that when you come in here 
you talk to them like you're equal, like they are a real person. And nobody that's in here, almost nobody that's in here has ever been treated that way by a man before. So, Gary, I, uh, you didn't need to ask me a lot of questions. You told me what you wanted me to talk about. Uh, me, but I just want to tell you this. I'm there for everybody. And, and I, I think I'm different than the people that generally come on the journey to success. I'm just a regular guy, but I'm out there and I just want to help other people. And I, I, I'm sacrificing a lot. I'm not asking for thanks for that, but I'm telling you that I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do and, and I'm just going to keep doing it. And, and that's who I am. Well, I want to thank you, Steve, uh, really from the bottom of my heart for coming on the show, for what you do in the world. And I'd like to just say something to the listeners just for a minute here. Because the guys in jail, and you know I'm, I'm involved in jail ministry. I go to jails and prisons here in East Tennessee. They're hungry. They're hungry for something to give them a clue, to give them light, to give them vision for their, and a hope for their future. And they're, they're very grateful to people like you and I that go into jail that can relate to them and bring them a message of hope. And one other thing that you, you mentioned was making a connection and receiving them when they come out. And that's when they really need the most help is once they're out. And managing their money is so important because it, it's either going to be a stumbling block and they'll end up back in jail or it's going to be a catapult to, to carry them forward. But just if, you, if you're involved in a church and your church has a, a, a jail ministry, get involved with that. And, uh, and reach out because the guys will, will love you and they will appreciate you and, and it's not a threatening environment uh, and, and you will feel definitely feel rewarded for your service. I just wanted to add a couple of cents worth in addition to, to what you do, but thank you again, Steve, for your service. And ladies and gentlemen, please look up Steve's uh, website. Uh, get involved if you can. Uh, promote him to uh, your church or to... Uh, organizations that you know that may uh, that help at-risk children uh, so that they can avoid following in their father's footsteps uh, it would be a tremendous service and um, anyway thanks again Steve what an honor it's been talking with you I look forward to being more involved with you uh, in the future Gary I uh I really appreciate that y'all reached out to me and gave me this opportunity. And I, I, I'm looking at one thing in my notes here that I, I want to end this with, if I can have another moment sure. here, just to Go sign ahead. off. Go right That'd be okay. Yeah. What, what I learned, what I learned about being in prisons from the inmates. And I was at a, uh, I was the guest speaker at a graduation for 90, 98 men at a state correctional center in Western Virginia. And uh, there were 98 men there. And, and this will just sort of set the tone, I believe, for what we're all dealing with. And when I stood up to speak with them, when they're looking at me, I knew they weren't listening. And I told them, I said, gentlemen, my message is so short on how to succeed, but I could give it in two minutes, but I'm not going to give it to you right now because I know that none of you are listening. I know that you're just looking at me and, and thinking, 
what's your deal? What's your angle? What are you getting out of it? What's your game? And I said, be honest with me. Is there anybody not thinking that? And everyone of them was thinking that so mm -hmm. it you know they weren't ready to listen to me so i have a process and and in anything that any one of you do that are listening as you communicate with others think about this process it starts with love they have to know that you're there for them and not just for yourself and unless they know that they're not, not going to listen to you secondly if they get to that to where they start to feel that you have to establish a trust to where they know you're not there to, to harm them, to hurt them, that they can trust you. Because everybody that we're talking to in this environment, they've been abandoned, they've been neglected, they've been lied to, et cetera. You know, they, mm -hmm. they, they've got this wall around them now. They can't trust anybody. And then if you can get to there, then just maybe when you introduce yourself properly, they start to respect something about you that they might realize that they the fourth step is they need to listen if they start to listen to you because maybe there's something in your what you're saying that could help them then if you can get them to the desire to change and there's two types of people out there some that need to change that they, they don't ready yet to even know they need to change and the other ones are they know they need to change, but they don't know how. So then when you can get them to where they want to change, but they don't know how, then you can provide tools. And what I want to do is be a resource so that I can send them to others that have got it fully blown out programs. I just want to help people learn responsibility and make that decision that they want to change and then get them started and then hand them off to other people like yourself. Chuck Norris had a movie called Missing in Action. And and so he went undercover to bring out some prisoner wars in the Vietnam War, I think it was. And that's who I am. I want to go into prisons and then bring people out so that they can succeed. So with that, Gary, I just want to thank you one more time. I look, and f look very forward to connecting with you because I'm getting ready to go to South Carolina, Tennessee with you, Delaware and West Virginia. But I'm just going to keep going to states and I'm just looking for uh, for people that want to get on board and be partners so that we can keep this message going and, and reach these people. Gary, God bless you and thank you for this opportunity. You're very welcome, Steve. Thank you. And thank you, audience, for uh, listening to Journey to Success Radio. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at TomTooTall.com for details.